0: Hello. 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 This, this is MCO. Hello. This is MCO. Hello? Hello? This is this another MCO's transmission. Okay. Uh, so this is our third night on the Formless Realms, and since there's a number of people that this is your first time here, as usual, I'm going to go kind of back over what we've covered already. Uh, I think that'll be helpful for just understanding tonight's topic, um, uh, just to give it its its uh, due credit. The topic tonight is, um, uh, it's a, a state of being or a, a level of, dimension of meditation. Um, We've been talking about these four dimensions or levels of meditation, and tonight is about the realm, or the formless realm, of nothingness, sometimes called infinite nothingness. Nothingness. Last week, it was infinite consciousness, and the week before that, it was infinite space. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to see how you move from space to consciousness to nothingness. That's what we're going to be doing tonight, all right? Uh, but it'll be helpful for those, um, especially if, you've, if this is all new to you, uh, it might be helpful to start off with this, that what we're talking about is a, a you know, the problem in, in English is that we only have this one word, Meditation. We have one word and that word meditation actually kind of doesn't even apply to most of what we're doing. Actually, I say that because actually the English word meditation comes from this Latin word meditatio, which actually was a form of reading the Bible. It was a concentrated uh, meditation on the gospel. That's actually where our word meditation comes from. So when you know that, it's even weirder to describe what we just did for a half hour as meditation. But that's the common parlance of our day, that that's called meditation. Um, in Sanskrit, you get all kinds of words. In, in Buddhism, you get all kinds of words for types of med- meditation, types of that, right? And so we're doing a type of Meditation. We're doing a type of practice that's called jhana or dhyana. Depends. There's some language things going on here between Pali language and Sanskrit language, but it's the same idea, same word, jhana. And what that word means is sort of tricky because we don't, again, we don't have English <laughs> equivalents of these words. Jhana is typically a calming exercise. That's the idea of it, focused and calm, that's what we're talking about. And I wanted to start tonight with a few ideas. One of them is, the, the, it's this idea I'm gonna probably come back to a lot. And it's this kind of, it's something I, I don't know if a lot of people talk about it, but it's this great mystery. And it, 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 Again, I'm gonna bring it up. And what that mystery is, is this, the idea of Buddhism meditation in general is that we have a lot on our mind like I said during the meditation we have ideas from the past stuff from earlier today from earlier this week whatever that's sort of on our mind we have stuff in the future plans ideas hopes expectations of the future so we got the past and the future and then there's the present sort of dealing with all this stimuli oh my god all these people oh my God they're all looking at me. So we got all this, this, past mind, future mind. So the idea is we have a lot on our mind and that ultimately the volume, the the sheer quantity of all of that is causing us suffering or dukkha as they say in in Buddhism. It's all causing us anxiety and stress to actually have that much going on. So you do something called jhana or dhyana, meditation. Focused attention. Also sometimes called sati or actually sati or mindfulness is a technique to bring about dhyana, if you want to get technical. So this mindful concentration in order to bring about a less uh, dukkha, a less stress, anxiety filled mind. And it's kind of actually a simple equation. <laughs> the more there is, the more stressful it is. <laughs> the less, the less stressful it is. That is actually the equation, and there, Buddhism will ultimately be advocating that if you could get that, the number of things on your mind down to zero, almost where we're gonna to go tonight, down to zero, that really, that's the happiest place you could be, actually. <laughs> but to the mind with all of this stuff on its mind, that seems a little boring, right? So I want to talk again tonight about how this how this works and then ultimately we're going to try to get to this state of nothingness tonight. So the miraculous thing that I was talking about is that we have all these things in our mind yet somehow I don't know how this is the miracle folks somehow we can choose to bring our attention to an object, our breath, a candle flame. And we can begin to to still the mind, to let go of some of those millions of things in our mind and just bring it to stillness. And again, I don't know by what miracle we actually make that movement. Do you know what I mean? Now, part of the Buddhist idea is actually that we're all sort of like caught up in this a little bit. <laughs> Maybe just because of our one lifetime or maybe because of lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, but the ideas that we're so kind of caught up in it and with all this uh, this uh, thinking thing right this all these ideas that it 's sort of like oh i 'll think my way out of this right give me give me a book to read or give me some more i 'm going to think my way out of this 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 problem and so there's a way in which the samsara as it's called this s- cycle of suffering there's a way in which it keeps reproducing itself all the time that's not miraculous <laughs> that's just <laughs> actually the sad truth of it all is that that's what keeps happening but again there's something in us so in some traditions they'll say it's our buddha nature In others, its buddha, uh, uh, Bodhicitta. but You don't even need to give it a name. And in fact, tonight, I don't want you to give it a name. And if you have a name for it, forget about it. Because I actually want you to really actually think about what's happening there. When one decides, like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll put my attention on my breath and and keep it there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how we do that. You know, and if there are you know, questions of will and free will and agency, all these things, especially in Buddhism, get very complicated. And so, but again, I don't even need to know why or how. <laughs> that it be is cool enough for me. Because I'm going to be talking about that movement. That movement that says, okay, yeah, a billion things. No, no, no. One thing. Because here's how the dhyana works is that there's a variety of, of, of um, objects, the breath, a candle flame, an image of the Buddha. There's various things. Um, there's actually lists of these things sometimes 40 different things that sort of, the Buddha supposedly approved as like, these are good for concentration. M- meaning other things might be a little too complicated or crazy and they might not actually bring about that still mind. And so we're going to start with some basic stuff. The breath, a candle flame, things like that, right? And so, again, if you weren't here the last uh, Dharma talks, it's that initial movement away from the cluttered mind of a million things towards the one thing. You, your choice. I use the breath because, like I said, it's like a travel kit. It's always there. So the breath and during the meditation, I kept sort of reminding you of two things. One, the goal is to try to keep your attention on your breath. <laughs> Meaning that the tendency is to kind of be like, all right, I'm breathing. Wait, what was that? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he said, he said, watch the breath. Okay, I'm breathing. Wait, what was... And so the normal mode is that, that we get distracted. And, and it, especially to a mind that's maybe not really well-meditated, that, that hasn't meditated a lot, that might be, seem really boring to just focus on the one thing, right? But the idea is if you do that miraculous movement to the one thing, and then the goal is that for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, that's what you're thinking about. You're locked in. You haven't missed a single breath. You have been present for all of them. All right, so that was the first thing I was trying to encourage, and that is definitely sati, mindful awareness of the breath, and that will definitely bring about a dhyanic or jhanic state. Okay, but then I started introducing this other idea, which was because you you can be with the breath all the time and be like, what? what's that guy's problem? Why did that? Why does that horn keep going off? You know what I mean? You can be present with the breath and be thinking about the past and the future and the horn outside and all these other things. So the first step of dhyana is this fixing it on something. And then the second step is this let go of all that other stuff. Let go of the past mind, future mind, even present mind. Forget about the noises. And you're trying to eventually have it so that it is just you and the breath or just you and the candle flame there is just your concentrated awareness your consciousness and the object of your awareness whatever it be right everybody with me so far now this buddhist tradition is very old of course and so there you know this thing has splintered off and split off into so many different schools and sects and styles that The world of dhyana or dhyana meditation has a lot of representatives with a lot of different um, techniques. And what I'm getting at is that in one sense, there's just dhyana, and it's about focused awareness on an object and eventually letting go of everything but that. Dhyana. But traditionally, this is divided into four stages, levels of dhyana the idea that this dionic state this concentrated calming state kind of has four progressively deeper stages right and i and i because i've talked about this every other night i'm not going to go into it in depth tonight but the basic idea is that first dhyanic level is is basically about a real sense of of kind of um either feeling really, really, really good in your body, or not feeling in your body at all. all right? So a real deep sense of either absolute comfort in the body, like really a deep sense of, I don't want to go or be anywhere else. That's a good sign or indicator that you're in a geonic state, that you don't want to go anywhere else, that you are feeling really good, And the first geonic state, that first level, is said to be rapturous, joyful, like really, really feel like better than you've ever felt in your life, kind of. And there's sort of still a discursive thinking mind that is very aware. Wow, this is not like anything I've experienced before. This is great. Uh, Because I'm gonna reference it a little bit later, I wanted to also mention that this Dhyana, this focused attention or awareness, is achievable in places other than meditation. And last week I brought or in or I introduced this idea of um, I used the example that I was playing a ping pong game, and that in the heat of this ping pong match, when my focused attention was on this tiny little white ball, doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, and that. There's a way in which, and this, this happened not too long ago, and I was teaching this class, and so there was a, I was in the ping pong game, and I was like, oh, wow, this is a diana. I was like, wow, look at this. I'm totally kind of having an outer body experience. I'm so focused on this ping pong ball that I can almost kind of, like, feel it. Like, it's, I'm so with it. And most importantly, there was nothing else in my, con- not even my, my opponent, I, I actually felt so like into this, this kind of dhyana that it was just me and the white little ping pong ball. And, of course, I, I was able to bat the little ping pong ball very well because there was nothing getting in the way. I was just so with it. It was like my hand was just moving automatically, right? So that would be like a dhyana and maybe even a dhyana. That type of flow state, again, where you're feeling a little out, outer body but you're really on it. I mean, you're really focused, right? Again, I might, I might bring up the ping pong again later on, so that's why I wanted to mention it. After enough practice at this first jhana and this focus, and this is where, again, this splinters off. Does this happen after months, years? Does all this happen in one meditation sit? Don't worry about that. But the idea is that with enough practice, concentrated awareness on your object... Out of the first jhana you can go deeper into the second jhana which is a little less joyful it's just sort of more content but still with a discursive mind thinking hey this is really nice not quite as nice as that first jhana though no i'm just kidding but it's discursive but not as joyful as that first then with enough practice concentration one goes into a third jhanic state in which there is this contentment but no thinking about it no reflection on that content state being like wow this is content but not quite as intended no 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 you're done with the all done with the chit chat and there is just the spe- experience of this content state and then the, this fourth gionic state called upeksha equanimity this is where things start to get a little hard to describe Because the idea is, is that, and this is always a little easier if it's been an object that you've been focused, it's easier for me to explain to you. If it's been an object, and so imagine I've been focusing on the bowl here in front of me, and through this fixed attention on just the bowl, and by letting go of everything else, I come into this first jhana via the bowl, right? That my fixed attention on the bowl is what's brought this about, right? So now I'm all joyful and I'm thinking, wow, this is really amazing. And then I move into this content second jhana, and think, wow, this is, this, this is truly, really amazing. Third jhana state where I'm just experiencing this contentment. And then this fourth jhana where essentially there's kind of a blurring or even a merging with the object. So in the previous three, there was still me and the thing I was meditating, there was a meditator and there was the object of meditation. In the fourth giana, things start to get very blurry. That's where me and the ping—I'm I'm the ping pong ball all of a sudden, and I'm like, whoa, "Whoa, where am I going?" It's like really becoming a unified experience, meaning well, meaning a lot of things. But one thing in particular is that one's experience, conscious experience, in the fourth jhana, if not sooner. It sort of basically ceases to feel like it's happening between the ears and behind the eyes Our normal experience is that somehow the seat of consciousness is back there in there somehow But through this jnana, there's actually kind of an expansion of that sense of self a, a Dissolution kind of a blurring until that widened sense of self engulfs the object That's a fourth jnana, right? Yes
1: um, yeah, you mentioned in the first two stages we have still a sense of a separate self because there's this discourse of thinking, right? The third you mentioned, though, um, there is no discourse of thinking, but you mentioned there's still a separate yes. self because the thought is more emerging mm-hmm. without a separate self, mm-hmm. which is basically they're not emerging because there's nothing to merge. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So in the third stage... Um, according to this teaching, is there a sense
0: of a separate self? Yes, in, in, in a way, because there's this, there's this feeling of contentment that is, you're sitting in, that one is sitting in, and it's being brought about by this thing that's in front of you. And in the, this third stage, the thing is still very there, and there's just this experience. I think the key of, of it, though, is that there's not a, an internal dialogue going on if that makes sense. It's like, you know, one can just sort of actually feel love and then one can talk about it and say, "Oh, I love this person." That's discursive. It's explaining to you the love. And then there's just this the feeling. And that feeling has a possessor, right? A one who is is feeling in love, right? Does that make sense yeah, at all? There would still be the love if we're going to keep yeah. going with that example. There's still the love feeling, but not being had by anybody. It all starts to get very blurry. And again, I I want to repeat this several times. You know that Buddhism is splintered, and a lot of people will say, "Oh no, 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 no." During this, you know, it's all. So I'm just pla- painting this in broad strokes. Yes, sir. Is it also called? In, in, I don't know. Maybe in some schools, like samadhi experience. Or? We're getting to samadhis, actually. Yeah. So, the four stages that are next up are called the four formless jhanas, or sometimes they're called samadhis. <laughs> yeah, and so maybe samadhis are just formless jhanas. Yes, sir?
1: Before we move down,
0: yeah. there's this meditation
1: the object in this kasina. Are we still talking about the jhanas when we do kasina? and then you? It's solved. Audio active solution, and then you have the awareness of that. Mm-hmm. Is this part of that
0: same? Yeah. So when I, I I I've been trying. I haven't been doing a very good job, but I'm trying to limit the foreign terms. But that was, those objects I was describing. That's a kashina. Now traditionally kashinas are specific, like these discs and all of that. But in general kashinas are object that object. With again certain schools saying no no no, it's got to be disc and it can't be oh you know. But you're on, you, yes. Did you have one? You had one from what minute ago. Um, yeah. It's, if, if you have discursive thought, and then you can just shut it off for like 20, 30 minutes at a time, and then like maybe bring it back in, you mm-hmm. is that, that's still true? Is, in, in three, are you kind of like, mm-hmm. it's like, is it like the option for discursive thought isn't even there? yeah I think on this just on this note, and I do because it's such a sm- shorter amount of time on Friday nights so i I want to get to the nothingness real quick, but um I, I myself think that any kind of sharp lines between these things are not advisable. I see it as a kind of a spectrum, and it just sort of fades. If you you know, you you fade into non-discursive thinking in the same way that it goes from a lot of discursive thinking down to some very, you know, the, I don't know about you all, but the thinking gets even slower. Even the discursive thinking, the little chattery, chatterbox mind gets slower when I sit longer. Again, I don't know about all of you, but when I first sit down, it's like... And by the end, it's <laughs> right. That's you know. So I see these things as more progressive, and it and it and it ends it or not ends, but it winds up being non-discursive, but through just a shutting down of the mind in that way. One more, and then I'm going nothingness, or maybe two. I
1: think I read some time as absorption. It's the
0: old school translation of Diana absorption. Yeah.
1: And somebody was describing that it's progressive, just shutting down, right? The eyes, and then you hear, you stop hearing, you start feeling, you stop, and then you stop sort of feeling the, this state of...
0: Uh, indeed, upeksha is also described as beyond pleasure and pain. That's uh, also a marker of this fourth jnana is that it is beyond the pleasure and pain, Beautiful, ugly, all of the, all that. That's why it's equilibrium or equanimity. That
1: was just a quick quote. <laughs> they go into the states and then they forget. Mm. They come back, and say, "Where's my team?" Well, you've been there for thirteen days. <laughs> You're <go> okay, <laughs> and so that's yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna stop it. yeah.
0: yeah. did you have one? Uh, yeah. So I was reading. I was reading few books about meditation. A common overarching theme that I've comprehended from those books was meditation should not have any intention. Like you should not be looking as a as a way to find
1: peace or as a way to solve your your problems. What what, what do you
0: think about that? Um, I think it's a little off topic, so I don't want to spend too too much on it. There's a so big, long debate of of you know. The idea of nirvana or enlightenment being a goal and therefore, you know, all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I I think actually I would like to just use that question to bring it back to this, my original kind of topic or idea of like that miraculous movement away from the suffering towards the stillness. And I would actually say, this gets tricky linguistically only, but if you really vibe what I'm saying, this should not be problematic. That movement, this is, um, this is the wanting. This is the desiring. The, this world, all the thoughts, all the ideas, that's wanting and desiring. This miraculous movement I'm I'm describing that moves towards stillness. I would, by definition, say it's not wanting to be still, not desiring, not, not, because this is wanting and desiring. So what we're talking about is some miraculous movement away from desire and attachment that isn't desire-filled, that isn't desirous. It's actually the exact opposite of desirous. And that's, again, it's not linguistic, or I didn't want to get it caught in the linguistic trap of, Of wanting, desiring, well you said want and therefore you want it. It's like, no, no, no. It's like, keep in mind this movement towards the stillness and concentration. And keep in mind that what it's moving away from is the wanting. Is the desiring. Right? And if you do that. Out of this, so this fourth jhana, this upeksha equanimous state. Brought about by my concentration on the object, in the same way that the object holding it, in the same way that I miraculously brought my attention away from this dazzling world of sights and objects and possessions, and I've miraculously brought my attention just to the object of my meditation. And I've used that concentrated awareness and I've You know, trained myself not to get distracted. I've trained my mind not to take in other stimuli. I've trained my mind just on the bowl. That leads to these jhanas, leading to this fourth jhana where there's a kind of a blurriness, and from through whatever that concentration that moved from this to this goes deeper and. Eventually gives way to this realm of infinite space. This is what I did my whole first Dharma talk on, which is the idea of infinite space. And space, very quickly, because it, these things get like I will just get trapped into talking about space all night, <laughs> and we'll never even get to consciousness, which is what we talked about last week, and we'll never get to nothingness, right? But the the thing about this. Realm of Infinite Space is that, I wanna put it in this Diana context, because if you don't think about it in terms of Diana, it's very easy to kind of maybe get carried away with astral projection type stuff, and it's like, oh, Realm of Infinite Space, I'm an astronaut out in, v- in Venus and Jupiter, and I'm in, you know, there's like the word space in English has oh yeah, outer space, conjures, like, black void, you know, all these ideas, and actually, and I, I need to do this because if we don't understand it, it just, the nothingness won't make as much sense, which is that the meditation that moved from the millions of objects to the bowl, there is a property to all objects, to all phenomena. There is a property to this world, and that property is called space. And space just means that there's space between things. So there's space between these two things, and that's what makes this, this, and that, that. If the space between these collapsed, this would become part of this. It would no longer be two separate objects, right? But I need some space Right? So I'm going to create space between these. So there is this property to all objects, which is that, and it's kind of related to this space, right? But it's not. It's not this space. It's actually a more conceptual thing. And what I mean by that is that all space is, this Akasha, is this idea of room of that there be space for things, right? And again, if there weren't space, it would all be one. Like if if there weren't space, this would all be one, but in our minds, we create space essentially, which is that our mind says, no, 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 You're, you're you and you're you, and therefore there's space in between you because you're not you, right? And if you were, if there weren't space, then that would by definition mean you're the same thing. That's sort of part of the, uh, the, part of the problem of space, right? So space is this wild d- pro- property of reality. It's everywhere, it's nowhere, it cannot be transported, it cannot, it's just, again, it, it, it's just, it's what allows for things to be. And if one concentrates long enough in the dionic state through the four dianas, this bowl, that candle kind of flame, your breath, whatever it is, the dimension of space that allows for it to be will be all that's left. That was one way to say it. but there's, The idea is, is that If you focus on any object long enough, it will give way to a certain vacuousness in a way. And what this samadhi, what this first formless samadhi or formless jhana is, is a concentration. Again, we're doing dhyana, we're doing sati, we're doing mindful concentration on space. Like on space. It's like what we're thinking about, but I always have to remind us we're past the fourth giana. So there's no you thinking about space. There is infinite space. The realm of infinite space, Akasha, right? Is everybody okay with that? Great, That'll, that helps. <laughs> because... The way I described it last time is is that, so for right now, I'm going to use my hand right here as a representation of, as I've been doing all night, as my concentration, my awareness, my vinyana, my concentration or awareness. And my awareness is towards the wonderful world of objects and things, right? But I'm going to move, again, by that miracle, and put my attention on the bowl or on the candle flame right so here's the object here's the concentration the the object the bowl the flame whatever eventually gives way to this akasha infinite space so that my consciousness is just on this infinite space that's the this first samadhi first formless dhyana right in the second one we get rid of even the space and so there's just the consciousness Infinitely, Because that's all there is now. But again, this is really tricky to kind of certainly articulate and to conceive of because we're in this deep state of, of concentration on consciousness only. And now we did it. To our third formless realm. Akinkanya. Nothingness. A kinkanya. So kinkanya or kinkanya is something, is a thing, is just something. It's actually, I did a little research earlier today, going deeper. I was like, oh, it's actually the word nothing is for once a perfectly good <laughs> translation. Because apparently kinkanya just means something, like a thing, anything, nothing special. It's actually almost like the word, the English word a thing. Meaning, like, what is a thing? Do, do things move? Are things big or small? Right? Thing, a thing in English is like this really generic word, right, that has no real characteristics. It's a thing. Like, object even seems more tangible to me than thing, if you know what I mean, Because object somehow is like has some, a shape to it or something. A thing is like just a thing, right? Well, Kim Kanya is thing, and then Ah Kim Kanya, is no thing. That's where we're at. No thing. Since it's, you know, not a lot of time, I'm just going to like kind of, I'm going to just say what, more or less what is going on here, yeah, and then try to tie it into a few things. So, Basically it seems to me and I everything should be prefaced with it seems to me <laughs> right but it does it seems to me that this state of akimkanya the state of no thingness or infinite no thingness is essentially like a blacked out state so remember when you were blacked out no you don't right so think about Meditate on. Let's put, on that as the object of our concentration, that absolute void of everything that was going on when you were blacked out last time. Right? You don't remember. You don't recall. There's absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? That's this stage. Now, last week we were talking, about, because of my ping pong, and then about like ideas of like runner's high and things like that. Part of the idea here is, is that during this meditation, in stage three, you basically black out effectively. But maintain some sort of uh, conscious awareness. But not, because we left that... We left consciousness behind in the second formless realm. We are in just nothingness. And again, if you want to meditate on nothingness, think about that blacked out moment. And I don't mean like try to really recall. I mean conceptually think about what I'm talking about. That that nothingness when you just were not conscious of anything and there was nobody or thing to be conscious of anything. Nothingness. It's crazy. It's crazy because it's nothing and yet my mind can kind of touch it, right? Sort of kind of. So on the one hand, we're again, cuz if there was space and consciousness and then I got rid of the space and then I got rid of the consciousness. You see what happened there? Do you see what happened there? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, right, that's the meditation now. The bowl that turned to space, the consciousness that was meditating on the bowl in the space, space went away, consciousness went away. Isn't that what happens when you black out that consciousness goes away? So that's why I'm saying I don't think it's a, a actually a bad analogy at all for us to reflect on. Or even, that, even the bardo, the little mini bardo, when you fall asleep, but you're not start dreaming yet. And it's just, you, you just aren't, aren't. You aren't, right? But I, we're not talking about blacking out, okay? What we're talking about is actually being in such a deep meditative state that one is doing sati, or mindful awareness, you're fixed. You're solid on. Right? I, there, I have no word. The, the word nothingness is as close as it gets, right? But that's the idea is that it is. It's, so it's not about. I mean, it's kind of seemingly. It's actually kind of about navigating a blackout. I mean, pra- this I'm talking practically. I mean, you're on the mat. You're for Diana in. First formless realm, second formless realm. The third formless realm, you're basically blacking out, but you're not falling over and waking up in the bathtub, right? You're actually still solid, but the, the, the dhyana is on infinite nothingness. It is infinite nothingness. Now, there's a stage after this next week, by the way, that I'm not even going to try to crack, but I just want you to know this isn't the end. This is a stage but the stage appears to be a meditation on no-thingness, which it be, seems to be akin to being blacked out.
1: There's always an observer.
0: How so? I mean... Ultimately. What do you mean? Um, as far as you take this, there's, there's always an observer, right? Are you free from this observer? Um... I think the goal of Buddhism is to be free of the observer and I believe in that state of being and I think all of this is actually not unlike the, the, the spectrum answer I gave. That it's a spectrum and at one end is the suffering self and at the other end is the freed self which is the non-observer. And there's all the gradations in between. Yeah? And I think part of the practice of these Jionic states and samadhis is sort of like having experiences of that having experiences of the no observer of having experiences uh, that are not owned in that way and ultimately so just on that note I have a, a a moment I will say this about you know a lot of this is very similar to other forms of meditation right so classic Samkhya, classical yoga, more or less, the dhyana is the same. Once you start getting into the samadhis, what what is Buddhism starts to reveal itself as Buddhism, what is yoga starts to reveal itself as yoga. But for the most part, but yoga, classical yoga, always believes in the observer. That's definitely what makes Buddhism not yoga in that way. And the way that I describe it is this, this clinging... This clinging thing, this movement of clinging, desiring, I describe it as having to do with what I call the karmic axis. So we have this idea of a karmic axis, which is that th- that, I'm, that it, it's attached to the self, the karmic axis, and so I'm only concerned about the karma that this puts out and that comes back to this. Your karma, what you do, and then what comes back to you, that's your problem. I'm here. This is my axis and I'm only concerned about what comes back to the axis. I would suggest that the project of of Buddhism is actually about first, the first movement, and this is like a Brahma Vihara kind of exercise, but the first movement would be expanding the axis so that maybe I identify not just with this, but I identify with my Sangha. So now the actions of my Sangha Come back to the axis. And what comes to the Sangha comes to the axis. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not attached to just this narrow karmic axis and what happens to it. I'm going to identify with something bigger. I'm going to identify with my lovely community here in the Sangha, and so my axis will get wider. Well, what happens if I identify with something even bigger or something bigger? There's a way in which that axis can keep getting wider and wider, but there's still this same coming back to the axis movement. I believe Buddhism is sort of, the result of non-attachment on clinging is that the axis is The illusion or delusion of the axis is gone. And the reality of this deeply interpenetrating, interconnected, dependently originated reality in which we're all vastly just swimming apart of, that's what I think it's revealed that is not the observer in that sense. So then does that mean that the third uh, formless realm or meditative absorption of uh, nothingness is like having a taste of what is a perception of absence of lakshanas or uh, characteristics? Yep. Okay. So two things, one there's states that go even further than this that actually result in what is called the Anayinita samadhi. Mm-hmm. That's the one where there's no signs, but it's, it's like enlightenment. This nothingness is a particular meditation and concentration on this wild idea. Just like space was really wild. Like when you really got into what the Buddhists were talking about, about space, and it's not outer space, nor is it, uh, is it just emptiness, but it's like, whoa, a property. It's wild. Well, nothingness is wild, like really wild. Yes, it's close to having, I mean, it it has no lakshana, but it has no lakshana because it is nothing, whereas the animita samadhi is where, it's why it's a more kind of closer to an enlightened state, because it's actually a state that recognizes there's no lakshana here. Yeah, but you need a view and many other things, not just samadhi, right? In order to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, ah, thank you. I wanted to mention that. About this state of nothingness and about... Yeah, so you should know that I be- the Buddha is said to have had two main teachers before he was enlightened. Uh, Ramaputra and Alara Kalama. I think there was their names. Alara Kalama, I believe, one of his teachers, and I think it was Alara Kalama... Taught him how to achieve this state of nothingness, of nothingness. And Alara Kalama supposedly taught that that was it. If you made it to that state of no thingness, you're good. You're not gonna get reborn anymore, you're not gonna suffer. Like that was considered moksha for Alara Kalama and his school of thought. The Buddha supposedly went repeatedly into this state of nothingness and then eventually found these green pastures, plat past it and destroyed the axis of the being, meaning anatman and so it kind of overturned the whole project when there's no self to be doing it. Um, but yeah, so the nothingness is this, um, uh, originally it was considered the end of meditation. The Buddha said, yeah, that's good, but not good enough in that way. Keep in mind that this is a calming exercise and please keep in mind that divine equation i mentioned about the less things on your mind the less suffering so therefore the meditation on no thingness that you 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 should be able to understand why people thought that was total bliss total happiness because you were having no you know mental activity about things in this world on that note about this being a calming exercise and i said this i think Every night so far. Typically these samadhis, infinite space, infinite consciousness, infinite nothingness, usually, typically, these are experienced. Right? You don't usually talk about these things. You you do them. You experience them. I'm doing something a little weird, which is kind of a Vipassana insight talk using these things because I actually think you can meditate on the concept of space and have insight and all of that. So I'm doing something weird here where I'm talking about these states but you know there's a beautiful uh, sutra we read last Sunday and the Buddha talks about this guy and he's he's in the middle of this field and he's building a staircase. And he's banging away and, and somebody comes up to him like, hey this is great, is your, pal- is your palace going to face this way, north and south, or is it going to be east and west? And he's like, I don't know, banging away. And then like, is your palace like three stories, four stories? The guy's like, I don't know, just building my staircase. And the Buddha says to his, 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 uh, his congregation there, he says, don't you think that guy's silly if he's building this staircase but doesn't know where the house is going to be, what way it's going to face, how many stories it's going to be, and all of that, right? Versus this other guy he talks about, when he gets asked, he knows exactly how tall it's going to be, he knows exactly the way it's facing, and he's building this staircase for his palace. That example is this beautiful example of it being very helpful of knowing where you're going. Even though we might not be doing it and getting there, meaning, because I know there's heavy meditators in this room and in, in SFDC, there's people that are really heavy meditators, and so as a roadmap, if if you're either dabbling in these samadhis or you are in these samadhis, I think it's actually helpful to have a conversation like this about, you know, because again, if you thought it was outer space, <laughs> and you thought you were going to see the rings of Saturn on your next formless whatever. You could be waiting a very long time and think you're doing it wrong. But if maybe somebody hipped you to this idea that they're talking about this property of nature or whatever, and that that, you know. So I'm laying out this sort of roadmap in that way. And again, doing it in a kind of odd, discursive manner. So, yes, sir. What's the, uh, the motion of like getting from um, consciousness on the object to that just from sorry we're from like consciousness to nothingness yep like what's the what's that emotion like it's the same divine uh, miracle that's happen. why I started the talk with it actually thanks for bringing it back to that seriously because it's what I wanted to say is that whatever that movement is again whatever that is it's the one that keeps going right because it, it requires that Not desire, but it requires that, you know, intent, intention. Maybe intention is a better word than desire that way. Uh, Intention to stay with my bowl or to stay with my candle flame. That requires something. And whatever that requirement is, it's like, yeah, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And it'll give way to these, you know, and again, if you, you know, it's too late to get into it. But this idea of like space or whatever, I, I... Again, it's what's underlying this to begin with. From a conceptual point of view, it's just this degree of concentration reveals that. And then ultimately, there's just this consciousness experience anyways, and so ultimately that gets revealed. And then actually even this nothingness is kind of an underlying principle of all this, kind of. And so just that staying with it brings about these. And also, by, on, an answer to that as well Indiana you're not trying to do anything so actually it's, it's about not doing, not doing not doing more not doing even more <laughs> like it's like extreme laziness but it's not lazy in that way but you see my point, it's a not doing so just keep not doing <laughs> yes um, I had a couple experiences on retreat where all I was aware of there was none of the chatter, but almost, in, yeah, it was just rough. The first one was, I mean, there was no feeling attached to it, but it was just very, very quiet. The second one was almost like I was a respirator. Uh-huh. You know? Yep. just in and out, and, and afterwards I got a little scared. But um, I'm wondering, does that sound like the consciousness state that you're talking about? Um, or? it's it's, to me, that sounds like a dhyana. You know, I don't know where in the dhyanas, but the reason why I say this is because the thing that you said reminded me of some you know, profound dhyanic experiences I've had with my breath, which is the when you take that step back and it's that odd, that kind of that odd realization that it's doing it all on its own, like I guess the respiratory, as you described it. That is a- experience i've had, and I would describe it as a dionic state brought about by that concentration on the breath, mm-hmm. yeah, and the reason why i would I would say that is because if you if you knew that it was breath, you were still kind of in the in the where things are still understandable as' candle flames and bowls and all of that right right. Yeah, it sounds like first or second. I, I'm, again, I'm not the type of dharma teacher to actually. I'm not even really interested in that type of. Right. It, it was I in the first. Was I in the second? It, I'm big. I like big, the broader. Like that sounds like a beautiful dhyana. Y- you know. But it was weird that it was a little skip. Sca- like the second one was a little scary because it was so blank. I mean, the first one was like afterwards. That, wow, that was quiet. That was yep. pretty cool. Yep. But the second one was nothing. Hmm. And that is, again, you know, if you, if you keep in mind the trajectory, if upeksha or equanimity is no pleasure, no pain, it is described as like a doldrums of meditation in a way because it gets kind of like not dark but not light. And it's kind of like that. And so if, 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 if you move from like it was this was feeling good to it's just feeling kind, of, then you were headed in that direction. You know, and actually it requires practice to even get over the doldrums in that way. Yes, sir. Um, so this, uh, this kind of like realm of nothing, sort of that blackout sort of uh, state, is that something you've been able to experience during your practice? I I haven't. I haven't. I don't even know if I've been in the realm of infinite space. I don't even know if I've been in Upeksha. Yeah. It's more for me... Uh, like I said, I'm doing this talk in a weird way where I'm kind of almost coming at it as a philosopher where I've, I've heard or read so many people talking about space as one thing or you know infinite consciousness being one thing and i just wanted to add my two cents to like you know actually everybody should know that space akasha has this long history long philosophical history and it seems like they're talking about that consciousness is vinyana and it has all these connotations in buddhism and they seem to be talking about that and then Kim Kanye or Ab ah, Kim Kanye is this simple idea of no thing, just nothing, and then, yeah, yeah. You had one, you got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most of
1: them are experiential, like, we said, like it's an experience. It's not like an elaboration of what it is. And um, people talk a lot about bliss, light, and yep.
0: Bliss, but you said?
1: Light and presence, right? Yes. Like, how many, usually described what these own forms also, man, are this sense of being dissolved in perhaps it's not an otherness, but an everythingness where nothing is separate. There's no life, right? And they describe, some, some of the traditions say, is the state and presence is uh, such which is the presence the bliss mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes they describe the roar and the light yeah. right, radiance, radiant roar mm-hmm. right. and say okay well that's, that's the experience that they share now this at some point I think the first jala does it include the bliss and the light and presence already we're talking about this experience that gets then kind of Stripped out of light or stripped out of radiance or stripped out of bliss Hmm. until it becomes this nothingness, or is this prior because there's still a a sense of awareness? You haven't dissolved your consciousness into there's you haven't gone through dissolution perhaps, Mm -hmm. you're still aware and you you think that there's something else. Hmm. I don't don't have an answer,
0: and neither do I. Neither do I again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for my pleasure. And I'll be back. Uh, I'm here on Sunday, and I'm actually going to do a.